from the chat saying Sandy busy. <laughs> it was so bad I put a hat on. <laughs> Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Betsperts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. It's NFL draft season. April is such a such a blessed month. We have you start out with uh, the national championship game of college basketball. Uh, really, the whole Final Four falls in April, followed by the Masters, followed by two weeks uh, run up to the draft. It is just awesome, uh, and uh, you know, no NBA playoffs this year to start in April, but that's fine because uh, I am extremely looking forward to the run up to this year's draft. It is one of the more fun and exciting drafts uh, that I can remember in the last four or five years. The uncertainty feels. Um, broader than ever. Uh, Andy did not really, uh, didn't really have any hot takes for the draft. So we had to go reach out and find a true expert here uh, to try to help give us you, you some know how insight. I you know, I, I feel like every year we try to do this and then I try to just stop you once we get to like <laughs> seven or eight. It's like, how do you even do it? Once you get to like seven or eight things, there's a million different butterfly effects. It goes in different ways. Uh, last year, we actually, Drew and I made our own first round mocks. My God. Very, very good. My God. Very, very good. <laughs> very, very difficult. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like dumping eight different thousand piece puzzles together and trying to work that out because it's like oh i found all the edge pieces and that's like the first three picks and then from there it's like oh shit i used up all my wide receivers what am i doing here like we're, we're done i'm done i it took me like four hours to put one together and it was terrible no I think it was did great our drafts were it, solid last year man you're, you're crazy actually, i I'm know go i know but now. i just i just feel mine was better than yours to be fair but. no uh, 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 we'll, we're gonna we have to we're gonna check the scorecard on that um, we will make right. mocks yeah. again but with, without further ado let's introduce our guest um joining us today to help break down some of the macro like uh, important things that go into handicapping this draft and then even beyond that some of the micro you know what should a team do with this pick what will they do with this pick how can we find value in the limited props that are available uh, to help us do all this we welcome senior analyst senior nfl analyst senior contributor senior college the, technically but you end up doing <laughs> when you're the draft it's everything you know what i mean senior uh senior contributor to the draft network Mr. Benjamin Solik, rising superstar, really, in the NFL media landscape. Uh, you know, really um, analytical, analytical guru. Uh, yeah, you know, big, big analyst yeah, guy. Big, big analyst guy. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the deep dive. It's great to have you on, and uh, can't wait to pick your brain on some of the NFL draft uh, experience so far. How's the How's it been this year? Has it been, you know, kind of a a good year overall? Yeah, I think that you know, uh, overall, like with with everything like we're looking at over a year of the pandemic now people still reading about football all the way through so thank god for that number one uh and then yeah the the league you know found a way to pull off medical testing they found a way to pull off athletic testing they found a way to pull off games and they're gonna have the draft for the second year and there's you know much more degrees of normalcy in draft coverage as opposed to some other you know uh, niche nfl coverages so in general you know you, you got to be pleased with what we're able to do process is weird but it makes it kind of fun to talk about too as well it's a little bit fresh as far as the draft network i mean kind of a two-part question if you want to tell people what you do over there and also i a question personally mine 
with your ascension into being a power player in the world of, you know, <laughs> college football analytics and draft analytics, is that why your avatar on Twitter has been cropped up a little to just include, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not, not as low. I, I feel like that picture used to go lower. It went lower. Uh, I, it, it, the, the full picture was online and uh, Mina Kimes, who works for ESPN, basically, I uh, was probably a couple years ago, was like, if you crop it, said the nipples in your profile pic, which is plainly what, what it was. She said, I'll follow you. And I was like, yeah, that's a fair price. Uh, and so <laughs> it was up there for a while, uh, full shirtless. <laughs> My mother was not pleased. Uh, wasn't a fan of that one. Uh, and then eventually I had like work gave me an official headshot. I put it up and I was like, no, I'm going back. But yeah, that John Lennon photo with the glasses is about <laughs> as like cool as I've ever looked. It's just been downhill from there. Uh, so that, that's a fun photo. Definitely. Uh, when, when I have takes people don't like, uh, they can't believe that other people are listening to a guy that looks like that. Uh, and so I, I enjoy those comments as well, but no, the, right. The draft network's about, oof, three years old, August, 2018. So our our third draft. And quite simply, it was a lot of places did draft coverage four or five months of the year with one or two guys. And it was, you know, good enough. But as this has gone on, as more and more prospect cutups get on YouTube, right. As, as the, the process becomes more exposed and fans can find like, all right, this fifth round linebacker from temple that my team drafted, I can go watch three of his games right now. Uh, they started to have opinions and they wanted experts to point to. They wanted resources from which to learn. And that's where uh, guys like Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, who, who uh, I've worked for for a couple of years and now work with at the Draft Network, they started doing their stuff. We have an ex-scout, NFL, NFL scout, Dre Harris on our staff, who he's now in the media side of things. Uh, we wanted to make that space to say, all right, 12 months of the year, we're going to do this. You know what I mean? Like right now in, in the Slack channels, we're like, okay, how are we going to divide up 2022 scouting? It's like 2022 scouting, I want to go to bed. But that's like, that's that's what it is. You know what I mean? And maybe we get started. And so for people who really enjoy the process of learning more about the game by watching college players and trying to project their pro fit, which is a really fun way to learn about both sports. Uh, we're in a good spot. You know what I mean? We have a lot of resources. We have the mock draft machine where you can make up your first round mock drafts. That you guys were talking about. Uh, so it, it, it's a good time. And it's been a lot of fun the first couple of years. I love it. Well, I like, yeah, I like how you said two sports. I mean, just real quick and all of yeah. That that's just because it's American football. We've said this a couple of times. It ain't the same sport. Like absolutely, there, there, there's a lot of, and and that's where we struggle so much. I think we're about one for fifteen on the, in the last few years for quarter, like first round quarterback grades. We were, mm-hmm. we were yeah, high the first question I did, a, I did, I did, yeah. I did a college football podcast, and the first question I got, which was a great question, was like. How do you even figure out who the prospects are? Because I watch a bunch of really good college players, and then I learned the NFL only thinks 25% of these guys are prospects. And it's like, yeah, because that that qualifying bar for I can play at the college level and be impactful to I can play at the NFL level and be impactful is totally different. And so that's why I say it's a good way to learn about both sports is to experience kind of that that stepping stone from one to the other. Oh, for sure. For sure. We've had college quarterbacks win a Heisman and then get picked in the seventh round. I mean, right. like, there's been wild stuff that's happened like that. Play and, the NBA. Uh, and yeah, play me and then go play me. Right. That's probably before, before your time, I'm guessing, even though you're a senior analyst. Yeah, um, but I'll smile along. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Either way, I really appreciate your content because it doesn't have a lot of the other telltale stuff you get with draft content, which is like hot takey in right. general, which is just absolute nonsense. Like there are certainly have been people who have been stirring up like God, man, we don't have anything to say about the first overall pick. Like you make a case for you know Zach Wilson should go number one overall, and it's like mm-hmm. stop, stop. 
Like, you know, like this yeah. is this is disingenuous. You're not doing anyone a decent favor here. You know, he may end up being, you know, there some other quarterback may win rookie of the year this year. Uh, you know, but it's it's absolutely um it's absolutely not going to be uh well now I wonder who who's Patrick's talking about. Oh, I gotta go look that up. Right. Um but yeah, it's it's uh it's you know, some other quarterback could very well win win rookie of the year this year, but by no means is you know, is there has there been a better quarterback prospect uh than Trevor Lawrence in I don't know, last f- five years. I guess just off the top of your head, who's the who is who is the the last QB one consensus last QB one who was a more sure thing than Trevor Lawrence. Right. You could People say luck back in 2012. Yeah, okay. That's, luck. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. John, <laughs> uh, <laughs> people, <laughs> right. People say luck. So it's like one in luck, every ten yeah, years. Okay. Yeah. Which, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I agree with. It's probably the case. Yeah. Like, again, like when luck came out, I was a freshman in high school. Uh, but that's the general consensus, and I think that that's appropriate. The we had a lot of quarterbacks go one overall over the last few years, but none of them were viewed as like slam dunks, even at the time of their picks. And obviously several of them have flamed down pretty uh, drastic ways. So since luck, and I think that that's, I mean, most draft coverage is at least a little bit hyperbolic, but that's like appropriately hyperbolic and, and not too far. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about little, some of the uniqueness of this year and sp- and the process in general, because, you know, it's it, to me kind of standing back and kind of consuming the draft landscape. You know, you you don't want to go into it myopically where you have an idea of what will happen and you're completely ignoring people who have like close connections and sources and ties to front offices who are talking to guys on a, on a regular basis and getting inside info. Uh, you know, so reading the mock drafts, reading the, the analysis, I think, is important part of things. Um, but this year, the consensus hasn't really felt strong really at all after you get past one and two and even you know through like maybe late february you could still get zach wilson at like minus 150 to go two overall like it was it took a long time for that to solidify um and it's it has felt like this year because there wasn't a combine and i i don't know you've probably been to the combine that feels like a giant important mixing pot where kind of consensus is sort of reached between scouts from different teams and general managers as to tiers where players belong and all of that was missed this year in fact these guys only really ever talked to each other when they were at like camp right or like at the at the uh the pro days right and so it's you know that aspect of this feels like it ought to make it more uncertain are you getting that sense as well as we head into just two weeks out from the draft i think so i think that we're we're experiencing a a much more intense, much more steep surge of information late in the process. And it goes to what you, what you went through. We did not have the Indianapolis gossip fest, right? Like the combine is, you know, during daylight hours, Oh, we're testing players and interviews and whatever. And then during nighttime hours, it's every NFL person in the entire world getting drunk and talking to people. And that's where we get, uh, we learn stuff from the league as media that comes through osmosis. Then it gets disseminated throughout, right. To, to everybody who's listening and consuming this content. So that process, February, March didn't happen as much in the same vein, uh, group think on the road is a big deal, right? Like Bill Belichick very famously tells us scouts don't sit near other scouts at games. Don't talk to them, make no friends because he doesn't want them to, you know, watch a good play by a guy. And, oh, it's a great play. Yeah, I really like that guy. Da, da. You know, he doesn't want that conversation. He wants those scouts to have just their individual looks, and their individual evaluations, Met, uh, much fewer NFL personnel allowed in buildings this year for games. It means there's going to be less group think there's going to be less crossover. This guy said that that guy said this. So the information was kind of dammed up there for a little bit. 
And then the pro day circuit hit and kind of now everybody's crossing paths with one another and having these conversations. So that's definitely plays a big part of it. And that that's a very real thing. The other aspect of it that I think also kind of changes the uncertainty uh, occludes things a lot this season is that, you know, I, I always like to remind and talk about how, how the first objective for a team when they're building a board is to winnow. We want to take this whole pool of prospects and start getting rid of guys. We're not even going to rank uh, medical. Boom. Don't want him. Attitude. Boom. Don't want him. He doesn't, he's a analytics outlier. He's too small. He's too slow. Boom. Not even going to rank him. So now we have a smaller pool of guys. These are the Vikings guys. And now we'll rank these players. That process is harder this year because you don't have access to as many uh, staff members and family members to do the character background. The medical checks are being done differently this year, right? And, and you're getting fewer guys in with your team doctors. So the winnowing process has changed. And what that means that is like boards typically look different. This year they look different. Uh, so we're going to see scattershot stuff. We're going to see really surprising picks uh, in round one, certainly, but especially when we start to get around two and round three, um, because that winnowing process has changed. And so teams are going to be a little bit more risk averse i think a little bit more arbitrary in terms of all right we don't trust this guy we don't trust this program we're just not going to take the risk on these guys and that means boards are going to look really different and that becomes harder to project on our side that's uh yeah the 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 combine stuff is so interesting too because i think it was what two maybe two years ago talking to eric eager over at uh, pro Mm -hmm. football and i don't even know if it was on the podcast it might have been just talking with him afterwards, he got to talking about Indianapolis and that realization kind of hits you. It's like, Oh, nobody gives a shit how far these kids are jumping. That's not what moved stuff. It's like, right. it's the entire world. Just right. like, you like, can sit at you home with your feet up uh, 36 inches yeah. on the vert. Right. But you're yeah, not there yeah, for that. Yeah. It's, it's exactly like you said, it's the gossip fest. It's the group think it's the people getting together, swapping information. Then you see a lot of that. And, you know, obviously not having that, it got weird. And that, that kind of leads me into the next question here with the, I don't know, all the stuff. And we, we have this stuff every year, but the fact that we didn't have the combine, I mean, I was personally, I was waiting for the first sub four 40 time because some of these, these hand time forties that people were doing, like uh, the Penn state one was great. Like, okay, those guys aren't that fast. What, what are we doing here? <laughs> so like, are, are, are people, are people forced to take more of that into account? The, you know, the stuff that people are doing on campus, or are they just been like, you know, w- w- that I guess, since they can't go see everybody at once in this winnowing process, you're talking about like our, our, you know, scouting departments kind of run thin on this because you can't travel everywhere. Right. You, you only have so many people. You can only visit so many places. Like, is that going to project a problem or is that going to kind of give some tells based on, well, they just didn't even go see this guy. Like yeah, they, no, they didn't have a chance. It's absolutely going to right give tells. The best anecdote for this is the fact that Justin Fields held his second pro day today. Because the the Kyle Shanahan, the San Francisco brass couldn't make the first one because they were in Alabama and they could have been in Alabama for Mac Jones, but Alabama puts out more than one prospect per year. I don't know if you know. So they're maybe watching some of those guys too. <laughs> it's all right. Now we got to get up to Ohio state. They're a pretty good program. We got to watch some of those guys work out. Uh, and so, you know, you see this second pro day being held by Justin Fields to reflect the reality of not every team that wanted to get to my pro day was able to get guys to my pro day. And and that is radically new relative to to other past years. And so, you know, you bring up like the Penn state pro day, uh, the, the way teams figure out times this year is going to be really interesting Uh, because in, in the average year, 
you know, like you, you set up laser time, 40 yard dashes at the combine and then teams are still using the hand times they're getting from their 65 year old scout who's in the bleachers <laughs> because 30 years ago they had his times and they want to be consistent for their database, or whatever. So, all right, you know, we're going to take Charlie's times over the laser. So that's how NFL teams have always thought about it. Well, this year, uh, you know, a lot of it is hand times. And then you get some of these reports out of programs that Penn State for years notoriously runs on a 38-yard track. This is not new. Penn State's guys are always on a fast track. <laughs> Iowa is the same way. These guys have always had very, very good numbers at their pro day. Um, you know, so you get these numbers out. Jason Owe ran a 4.39. Pars ran a 4.39. And then NFL times leak. And sometimes it's 0.06 slower. Sometimes it's 0.08 slower. Sometimes it's 0.1. And these are margins that matter. You know, you like I said, teams when they win, oh, say we want sub four five players, four four nine one, four five one. That's a difference that matters. Uh, and mm. so teams are going to draft players and then call him again as a four four guy. And he ran like a four three eight, you know, but like that's the time that they had for him. And this is where I talk about the divergence in boards is going to be even bigger because now individual hand timing for scouts matters even more than before, which is just like ludicrous that million, multi million dollar decisions are based off. 65-year-old Charlie's pointer finger. But that's yeah. how the NFL likes it. That's Dude, how they bro. do it. Yeah, right, I, I well, thought maybe the draft Parsons as a receiver at this point. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I saw somebody. Is. Yeah, Jason Oway, this, he only started playing football as a junior in high school. Somebody get this guy at tight end. He's 6'4", yeah, yeah. with a 4'3", What are we talking about? <laughs> I'm wasting him at edge. You don't need yeah. a skill to play tight end. Just go run. <laughs> We'll see. Mm. Well, the last wrinkle and uncertainty I wanted to bring up and get your take on, you know, some of us, you know, some of us like you and me, we're analytics guys. Some of us like Andy, we eat the film. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, either way, you're dealing with a small sample size problem this year that is even more exaggerated than a normal year. We had mm-hmm. fewer games than ever. We had more kind of imbalance in terms of like degree of competition. Right. Like uh, we still, you know. I don't know if you, we really know, uh, you know, <laughs> how to put, how to grade Zach Wilson on the right curve, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just based on, you know, who he played and similarly with Trey Lance. And oh, by the way, you only got one game from him this year anyway. Um, you know, how, how, you know, how do you approach the fact that you have such a small sample size, either by analytics or by film on so many of these prospects, given that so many of these top guys took a year off uh, and then, you know, the, the schedule was shortened and imbalanced. Right. There's so many prospects for whom that's like a fascinating conversation, right? Jamar Chase has an unbelievable season as a 19-year-old sophomore wide receiver for LSU. And then his quarterback goes number one overall. They go to put in some freshman who he knows isn't going to be good. And he gets an opportunity to opt out. He takes it. Uh, No reason to put any worse film out there with a less accurate quarterback who doesn't trust me as much. I'll just stick on 2019. Uh, Penny Sewell. Right. Uh, he gets knocked for uh, the tackle at Oregon, gets knocked for maturity concerns and for, uh, you know, technical refinement and polish. That was a 19 year old sophomore out there. We would not be having these conversations if he played in the 2020 season. We don't usually evaluate 19 year old sophomores. We don't care if they're immature. As long as you're ready for the NFL, we'll be interested in you. Gregory Rousseau has 15 and a half sacks out of Miami. 2019 freshman that's unbelievable led the country doesn't go back for 2020 and the film shows that a lot of those sacks were opportunistic and not necessarily rot of his own work and so it's it's it, it's and we didn't even get to the quarterbacks there's stories on stories of that so what do you do it, it, it's gonna vary from team to team and and it's always about for me like degrees of confidence uh I love Trey Lance on North Dakota State. You watch him play, you put 15 plays on, you're like, let's go. He's tough. He's managing the line of scrimmage. He's aggressive. Like, this is everything we want. Uh, I put on his film, I put on Zach Wilson's film, and my heart says, Trey Lance, let's do it. Let's, let's go for it. 
But then when you sit down and you say, all right, my job's on the line to degrees, to what degree of confidence can I say what I saw from Trey Lance in 2019 against future accountants in the FCS <laughs> is going to translate in 2021 to the NFL. I can't say that with my chest. You know, like we, we've not been, we're not good at evaluating three year SEC starters. We get those guys wrong a lot. This is even trickier. And that if, if it's a razor thin margin between him and Zach Wilson, the guys Wilson played against were a little bit better. Uh, and the coaches he coached for were a little bit more NFL style, right? Trey Lance running that, that inverted veer offense, you know? And so those that you, you have to ask yourself to what degree of confidence can I believe in my own evaluation? And that's what the really good general managers acknowledge and do. That's why like John Schneider misses a lot in Seattle, but he knows that in general, most GMs miss a lot. So he trades back a ton because I'd rather just take a lot of swings at the plate and know that even though I can't be fully confident in my own evaluations and certain that I can evaluate good players and identify good players, if I get enough swings, eventually I get Richard Sherman in the fifth and Cam Chancellor in the second, Byron Maxwell in undrafted, in, uh, in undrafted free agency. And once I hit Earl Thomas in the first round, I have a secondary that takes me to multiple Super Bowls. So that that's the approach that you have yeah. to take. It, it requires humility because in this year and in other years, you're never going to be good enough at evaluating to say, we can always stay put. We're always going to evaluate good players. And we're going to build this team through the draft. Hasn't happened in history. Will never happen in history. This has been bothering me. And I feel like we've, we've done multiple episodes on cognitive biases. Is there, is there just the tiniest bit of, well, I mean, Carson Wentz came from that little school. Like they can put out quarterbacks. Like, I feel Easton like Stick is the backup in Los Angeles right now. They're yeah, Easton, Easton Stick made it. You know, it, it feels like that's been. If it if it were any other like FCS school, I'd be like, oh, I don't know, it's an FCS school. But this mm -hmm. is like, well, I don't know, it's North Dakota State. They sometimes they'd go down and beat like quarterback Kansas. factory. You know, oh, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. Well, and for a while too, they were winning all their goddamn these money games. You know, the buy yeah. games. These these lower end Big Twelve teams are oh come play us down in Lawrence. And then no, that 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 wasn't so fun. So, I don't <laughs> I, know if there's a little bias there. And they and, were like supposed said, to have so Oregon hard. this year. That was yeah. going to be a huge game for Lance. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so no, I agree with you. The uh, uh, like bias awareness and scouting, which I studied cognitive biases in, in college. So this is like what <laughs> I like about the draft. Um, but biases and scouting is, is an extremely big deal. But it comes down to like you'd rather fail going with what you trust in the sure. sense of coaches and general managers have other coaches and other personnel execs at other programs that when they talk to those guys, they expect the full truth, right? They expect a, a legit answer. doesn't mean they're right, but those are the guys with whom they've had that relationship. And, and that's what they expect time and time again. You see those guys default to those guys. It, okay. it, it, it's like coaching trees. You know what I mean? You can see the similarities. I'm an Eagles fan. We used to joke that Harry Roseman could not get out of a draft without drafting a kid from Florida. Want to know why? They like the Florida staff. Uh, personnel exec from Florida went to West Virginia. Guess who got two players drafted by the Eagles in 2017? West Virginia. You know, we we know people, and when we know people, we trust what they tell. We we trust what they tell them. And so North Dakota State has developed a reputation. That coaching staff has since changed, and the reputation remains. Now Lance is a little bit of a uh, edge case because. Uh, he should have been recruited to Minnesota. And the fact that he wasn't was just unbelievable. Right. It just 
terrible, terrible, very bad. Um, but he ended so up in North every Dakota sport, State. every sport, like Jalen Suggs is out in Gonzaga, and we can't. devastating. And, and our and our and our star receiver is shrinking every day. Every <laughs> time, every time they measure shorter. this kid, he's an inch shorter. And I, yeah. I think he's better. He clearly he's better than Tyler Johnson. Of course, he's better yep. than Tyler Johnson. I liked it two years ago. Um, God, and this just makes me everything you just said makes me think of something Drew and I said about a month ago when we were just going down team by team and talking and something came up and we, we said, you know, there's tendencies, exactly what you just said with Howie and Florida, there's teams that like certain schools or they just have a, uh, maybe a relationship. They, they scout, they feel like they scout well, or maybe it's a bias with them too. Like, Oh man, we got this one guy from this one school and he's a, he's going to be a hall of famer. So now mm -hmm. we have this un, untapped bias that's making us want to go there, but there's, there's a bunch of spots where we have new head coaches. There's a few spots where we have new GMs. Like, how are you treating? How are you treating some of those where you have very little information about how this, you know, how this team's front office has is going to react? Because, like, I don't know uh, who who replaced Dimitrov. I can't think of the guy's name in Atlanta. Uh, Scott Fitterer out of Seattle. Yeah, like, uh, are you able to take anything from? what mm -hmm. Seattle did in the past and transpose it onto him? Or like, uh, how do you treat that? Oh, yeah. You, you treat Atlanta guy, Terry Fontenot, who yeah, well, must, he must have been a great, great talent evaluator at New mm -hmm. Orleans. Like if you had to say who's going to win this draft and gave you no other options, well, Atlanta has a good chance because they drafted, he drafted some amazing players when he was with New Orleans. Right. But yeah, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. How, like, and even beyond that, like, do you kind of categorize certain GMs and coaches based on, you know what you know about them right like everybody's situation oh, yeah, is a little different, right like, like yeah, some some, some guys are in a very comfortable employment status they can take a little bit more risk some guys have to get something this year to save their jobs the incentive structure is not the same for a bill belichick <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a zach taylor you exactly. know like it's a very different uh very different mm -hmm. dynamic i mean yeah i guess what what you know what uh how much should we use about coaching GMs, what we know about them, what we don't know about them in our handicapping process. Right. So when it comes to the new guys, uh, I'll use them after they do it. Uh, I'll say, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, uh, right. It's it. the two interesting guys, are the guys who brought up Scott Fitterer in Carolina comes from Seattle. All Seattle ever did was trade back yeah. up until the Sam Darnold trade. We all thought San Francisco might, or excuse me, not San Francisco, Carolina might trade up for a quarterback, which Seattle got their quarterback in the third round. You know what I mean? That's not really a repeatable process. That's 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 an outlier. And so we, you know, we thought, all right, Carolina, super aggressive owner and David Tepper, they're gonna go be aggressive. They try to trade for Stafford. They make the Darnold trade. They can still take quarterback. You know, so we we I wish I could have told you, hey, they're gonna trade back because it's Seattle, but you don't know that. And then the opposite side of that coin, you brought up Fontenot in Atlanta from a New Orleans team that traded up. New Orleans said, we like our guys. We're going to trade a first for Marcus Davenport. Didn't work. We don't care. We're going to trade up in the second round for Eric McCoy. We don't even have a third round pick. We're going to go get him. That worked. Uh, that team also invested a ton in the offensive line. Atlanta's got a goodish offensive line, but it could be improved. How much of that was fun to know? How much of that wasn't? Uh, Atlanta's in a great spot at four to trade back. New Orleans never traded back. What's Fontenot bringing to the table? Yeah. We can't, you know, you, we, uh, when it's new GMs, you can go, uh, you know, digging for nuggets in, in the pressers. But the reality is with, with new guys, it's, it's very, very hard. So after 
they do what I expect them to do. I'll say, yeah, I expect them to do that not beforehand. Okay, so so uh, yeah. good thing that the entire draft pivots on pick four then. Yeah, if we have no. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the segue here. Yeah, yeah for and sure. that's the thing is like uh, that oh, that boy. you can use it retrospectively to in, like help understand the decision. Like it makes sense because he came from here. But right, prognosticating is tough with established guys. Yeah, you can do that a little bit more easily. Uh, Dave Gettleman doesn't trade back. He doesn't trade back. There's been times where it made very little sense for Dave Gettleman not to trade back, and he still didn't trade back. Uh, you know, he sat there at 17 and took Dexter Lawrence. Nobody wanted Dexter Lawrence at 17. Dave Gettleman did. I'm going to make this pick. Other GMs are just going to trade back and still get their guy, get an extra fifth-round pick. He doesn't do it. Uh, he believes in his evaluations. He's going to sit there and take him. So we know this. And so when you look at, like, uh, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith over under 11.5, that pivot points right after the Giants. The Giants might take a wide receiver. There's no way they're trading out of that pick. So yes, a team that might need a wide receiver will be there at 11. I can promise you that. And so that does help us inform things a little bit. But in general, you're throwing darts. And especially with new guys, you're throwing darts, blindfolded, drunk, spun around three times. Don't try it. You're going to take somebody's eye out. <laughs> Speaking that's, of yeah, throwing darts. We've been sitting and talking about the like yeah. the, the fourth pick has been driving us nuts for yeah. all week. We're, we, we'll uh, get, let's don't spoil. Yeah, it, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get yeah, into we'll that. Get, I mean, the know. third, third, fourth, and fifth, and honestly, yeah. six. Like that's that's there's a box of hornets at each one of those spots, and it's yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun once we get to it. Yeah. But speak speaking of throwing darts, how much do you care about your mock draft? Like, you know, I, I would say that having a good mock draft was a sign of credibility, but then you have guys like Mel Kuyper Jr. who mm -hmm put out one of the most ridiculous mocks that I've ever seen this week. He has Miami trading from six into four to take uh, a positional player, which is, uh, I mean, that's in, it's, it's fun, fundamentally insane. Atlanta trades down from four to six to take a quarterback. I don't know that you can ever find me an example of a team trading right. down within the top 10 and taking their guy who is a quarterback who was available with them earlier. Like that just doesn't happen. That Mel uh, mock I, went to a lot of DMs very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so okay, so this is 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 that just because the mock draft is forgotten the minute it's published? Like there's, mm -hmm. it, you know, I know people have tried to create a credibility system. They grade them. They, you know, they hold them up. But like, you know, the grading system tends to overweight what happens after pick ten, which is as Andy mentioned, is super butterfly effect. Who the heck knows, you know, because it's all, it's all, you know, it's all uh, influenced by what happens in the first 10 picks. I mean, you know, I guess how much time do you spend on your mock draft? Do you, you know, like hold it up as like, hey, like this is a badge of honor. I'm, I'm sweating this. I need to be somewhat right here for my for my credibility's sake. Or are you just like, you know, hey, here's my best guess. Some of this is what I think they should do. Some of it is what I've heard they will do. And, you know, there's right. plenty of places you can read this. Yeah, it's always a blend. You know what I mean? You're always going to like, you know, I've been told like the Steelers are going to take Najee Harris at 24. And it's like, okay, well, we don't even know he's going to be there. We don't know the Steelers are going to stay there. The Steelers could have a guy ranked above Najee Harris who they don't think is going to be there. And then he ends up there. So you can't say that. Um, mm -hmm. But it does make sense. It's the sort of player the Steelers would like. They need him. And so, sure, when I do my final mock, you'll see Najee Harris to the Steelers at 24. It'll be one of the first picks I write, even though there's 23 <laughs> picks out of it. You know what I mean? And then if I have to change it, I will. Uh, and so when it comes to write that final mock, like I, I want to have the best one at, at TDN at the draft network to make fun of the guys for a year. Um, but you know, other than that, um, right. The, the, the work that I want to be able to do well is to understand why teams picked who they picked, how those fits work. I'd like to be able to sit after a pick immediately, like, you know, not Trey Wingo. We had to wait till this ends, but like after the pick and say, this was a bad pick and it won't go well. 
Uh, you know, I, I, I think that it's important to understand fit, understand what p- developmental timeline players need uh, and, and how teams are going to uh, work with that. So after those picks are made, I'd like to be able to say, I like these picks. I didn't like these picks. This class was good. This class was bad. Prognosticating is, you know, we were all there on April 25th refreshing our phones to figure out who the Browns were taking at one. You know what I mean? Like if you had Baker, right, you had a fighting chance having good mock. And if you did not you had absolutely no shot. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, like a little yeah. bit, uh, it, it, it's like, a, it, it's just too difficult. It's too arbitrary. Right. So I, I like to understand fits. I like to get good matches. The most proud I've ever been was getting Calvin Ridley to the Atlanta Falcons in the first round, like four years ago. Cause I was like, this is the sort of player they like, and they have a decent need here and nobody else is making this, this, a marriage but it makes sense for them and so why wouldn't they do it and they did and i was like all right i put the pieces together on that one that's cool the other 12 i tried to do that on it didn't work um but i was right they were wrong all those teams are bad atlanta's yeah. smart they make sense you know so what well, you can't get too serious on it well and you don't want to be married to it i'm going to give drew a little shit here and i will preface <laughs> this with drew did better betting the draft than i did last year even if you throw out that kicker thing you you hit more stuff with me than me. You made more money than me. You did better. I want to say this because I'm, I'm going to say something sure. nice about you. Sure, it's a, sure, one sure. of those compliment sandwiches. Because when we were live betting, we got to the Cowboys pick. That's and you you had become – you'd almost like incepted yourself. And like, well, they're, they're going to go defense. And we're like, no. like, And everybody in the chat was just blowing us up. And then we were – and it was like, no, that like, it's like what you said about the Najee Harris thing. If there's somebody there that they want and he's much highly right. more regarded and he's there, it's going to happen. And the Cowboys, like after everybody in the chat just said it, like, Oh fuck. Like, yeah, for sure. They're taking him. Like they don't, yeah, they don't talk about CD lamb. Me, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah, looking at their defensive talent. I'm like, if they don't take defense, they're no, Yeah. And that, that's and the thing. Like, like no, well, he, they love CD lamb. He's going to take mm-hmm. CD lamb. And I'm like, well, no, let's, let's play defense. We're getting a good price here. No, they, no, you're, you're, I mean, you're 100% right. They, should, they, they needed a defense. That defense was hilarious for most of the season. They look probably at where they are right now. Yeah, they needed look, 10. Yeah, look, yeah, look where, they, look where yeah. they're at. But it, it just became like, well, this is Jera, and Lamb is there, and Christ, they're going to do this, aren't they? And you looked at the odds. It was like, oh, my God, they're, they're absolutely going to do this. And it just turns into a – well, I mean, and then there goes the mock. Like, the mock yeah. is dead. Every, the, from there on out, it's like, well, the Cowboys didn't take a defender. Now somebody else who's defense hungry is going to get, you know, I, I believe there was guy. an edge rusher. Like, uh, I can't even remember where the edge guy went later on. Maybe Caleb on Chase into the Jaguars. Yeah, Chase, yeah. and that's who it was. Mm-hmm. And and then a bunch of, you know, corners and safeties towards yeah. the end. It just, <clears throat> that kind of made everything wacky from there on out. And it just screwed up the receiver stuff. So that that's where... It, it's it's such a mind fuck for me because as soon as you end up with one thing like that, it's uh well Christ now I, I need to pause the draft. Like you gotta stop picking so I can sit back down and look at everything again and see yeah. where everyone's at from this point. So that's where it, that's and that's why it is so fun, I think. That's why it's so fun trying to do it live. Oh yeah, for sure. I guess uh in if in the I guess other handicapping angles we want to try to explore a little bit. Um should we be using free agency as an indicator? Uh, is that a little bit of a tell like a team like the lions, they let their wide receivers go in free agency. Presumably they have eyes for someone in the draft at the wide receiver position. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not seven overall, but like, you know, they need some offensive skill position players on that team. If they're going to compete right now, uh, if you look at their depth chart, it's not good. Similarly, like a team like the Bengals, 
I want to get into the pick five in more detail later, but surely they have invested a lot of resources over the years at the in the offensive line in round one of the draft. It hasn't exactly worked out. They signed mm-hmm. Riley Reef now. Like, are they really in the market for another tackle here? Right. Uh, like, like, you know, like how, how much should we be using what teams did in free agency as an indicator of uh, you know either what side of the ball they're after they're going after or what positional player they may address. Yeah, so the, the Bengals with Reef is a great example because Riley Reef is the sort of guy where if you have to start him at right tackle, you swallow the pill and you say that that'll be fine. He's a he's a vet and he's done it before, it'll be okay. Uh you don't sign him to say, now we don't have to take a tackle. You sign him to say we can take a tackle still and it'll make sense. Maybe we kick Reef into guard. Or we can go and get Jamar Chase instead, and that also makes sense because we have Riley Reef. And so w- we always say of free agency, you approach free agency so that you're not cordoned in, you're not locked into one position in the first round of the draft. You want to have flexibility. The best team and the best unit to look at this for is, is the Raiders on defense. The Raiders' defense last year was atrocious. So they needed a defensive tackle, an edge, a linebacker, a corner, and a safety. That's all of them. Okay. Well, they added Quentin Jefferson in free agency. That's your defensive tackle. They added Solomon Thomas as well, defensive tackle, edge hybrid. Yannick Ngakwe, he's definitely an edge. Uh, Linebacker, they had two guys in free agency last year, and they brought in a third. I can't remember who it was. And then at safety, they brought in Xavier Woods. Guess what? They still need all the positions. They still need everything on defense. They still could go for every defensive position, but they've given themselves flexibility. So now if a couple of those guys do have to start, it's not the worst thing in the world. So in general, you know, teams are trying to clear their their big issues in free agency to ensure that in the draft they're flexible. So if you go in and you say, all right, like the Lions are definitely stuck in at wide receiver. They brought in Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman. Uh, and Tyrell and Brashad Perriman is not a strong group, but it's enough that you could get away with a round two or round three receiver if you need to. And that's kind of the flexibility you're looking at. I like looking at it that way. And I guess we, we, we've it's never not quite helpful to us, yeah. but it's how teams do it. <laughs> no, I mean, but it, it's good to know, like if, if you have, you know, if you have a proper way to rate everybody and you can say like, like, like you're saying, well, this isn't the best case scenario, but it's not certain death that we have to start this guy or, you know, we, we have to replace this guy either through the draft or free agency later on or a trade or something like knowing that they have some flexibility and, and the Riley reef thing totally makes sense. I'm a Vikings fan. I, I know where you stand when you're starting Riley reef. It's, it, it, it is what it is. It's, it's like, well, we could, you could get away with this, but it does, you know, it, it, especially since there is uncertainty in the fourth pick, it does give you a little bit of flexibility to do a few things. So I, I guess, Man, I I have a long way before I'm running an NFL team. There's a lot of a lot of complexity going on here before you even get to the draft. The uh, I guess how about even broader free agency trends to take away? Like the free agency market for wide receivers was wildly soft. Mm-hmm. Like not a lot of guys got good deals. There wasn't really a lot of demand. Can we take that as some sort of broader signal that across these 32 teams that like these teams are pretty excited about the wide receiver class and that we could see a little bit of a mini run in round one on wide receiver. I'd say yes to the first half, not so much to the second because that, that free agency trend is less about this particular class and this group and more so about wide receiver classes in general. Uh, It was a pretty good wide receiver class last year. And there were even good things about the wide receiver class the year before. Next year's wide receiver class looks good. 
we're starting to pick up on a trend here. The wide receiver classes are good. That's what they are. Uh, and and more teams are passing more often with more receivers on the field. These guys are getting developmental reps. You know what I mean? They are out there moving at the college level. So many more athletes in seven on seven at the high school level are getting reps at wide receiver. High school offenses are more successful throwing the ball. It used to be any high school game you went to, we're going triple option. That's not the case anymore. <laughs> and so with development, has kind of trickled down league to college, to the high school level. And it makes your average passing game better, which means more athletes are going to wide receiver. They're getting more time reps, more work in seven on seven, and they're entering the league better. And so now we've got five, seven Rondale Moore, who 10 years ago, the league would have been like, absolutely not. He's a running back. That's five, seven. He's going to go round two and be a slot receiver. He's going to be mm. a gadgety sort of a player, but that's, you know, he, he's going to go and be in that role every year. We may not get, you know, four top guys we may not get cd lamb jerry judy henry ruggs justin jefferson every single year but we're going to get a deep class of wide receivers pretty much across the board that, that, that's expectation and so why are you paying kenny galladay four years 72 million unless you're the giants uh this is you know not necessarily a market you <laughs> want to be in when you feel strongly with the amount of receivers we put out on the field with the amount of times we throw it we are spread the wealth increasingly in the league right we have multiple hundred target guys we're just going to continue to pepper round two, round three picks. We're going to pepper mid-level free agents. We're going to build a basketball team of guys and we're going to throw them all the football. And um, so, so that, that, that wide receiver trend, I think is more indicative of like long-term what the league expects from wide receivers, as opposed to this particular class. I think the only main free agent trend that is, is indicative of this class is every single team that could have taken a quarterback, could have taken, could take a quarterback in this draft, got a vet guy, didn't try to get a starter. Everybody wants a piece of this class. This is a really, really yeah. good class at the top. That's some that's some Malcolm Gladwell shit there, though. The you know trickling all the way down to like, I mean, to, you could have go to youth football if you wanted to. It's mm -hmm. it's becoming a passing league, and it just does trickle down. And uh, God, I, I wonder what's going to happen to Wisconsin. Not going to have Big Ten football anymore. What's right. going to happen to run, 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 punt? And I mean, it's a better brand of football. It's more exciting. I, I do hope it does continue to trickle down that way. And yeah, it's it, it's so weird though. Like I've always treated free agency as more of a certainty. And I don't know. Do, are there teams that have differing? I feel like there's probably a spectrum of opinions on that. Where it's like, hey, this is a free agent. We've seen him play in the NFL against NFL defenses. I know what I have here. Whereas a draft pick is a mystery box. Like, are there certain front offices that, you know, treat the, treat those things a little differently than I just put it? Cause that's, you know, that's yeah. kind of where my mind always runs. Absolutely. Yeah. So Lewis Riddick was on the athletic football show and he talked about like free agency at a macro level. And it was a really cool episode. And I've mentioned it a lot because I think people should listen to it. And in it, he talks about how in free agency, you're really hammering this guy fits. This guy fits culture. This guy fits with the way we want to approach it. He fits our scheme. He's he's an edge rusher. He knows our defensive line coach and our assistant vice president of player personnel went to college with his old, you know, uh, strength and conditioning coach and they love the way he preps. And so we're confident about that. So this guy will fit for us. He will matter. Like you said, it's a certainty, you know, uh, he may end up being a starter for us. He may end up being a rotational player for us. He may end up just being a backup, come off the bench, but when he sees time, he will know our system. He will know our approach. He will be prepared. He's going to be good in the locker room. Bang draft. I, I don't want doubles now. I want to see if I can get a home run. Uh, and so this is where, you know, I still want my culture fits. I still want my scheme fits. But now this is a rookie contract player. So he can be 
great EV. He could be great uh, cheap on, on value. And I can really mold him into something special. And so this is where I'm more so leaning back into my stance and taking a swing. So absolutely, free agency, I, I want guys who I know will fill out my roster, will contribute in some way. Now my roster is clean. I don't have any get glaring holes. I can go and I can get best player available, best value available, and really make some big picks that will springboard my team. One last question, kind of positional oriented and mm -hmm. positional scarcity a little bit as well. Um, are we more likely to see teams swing for home runs for defensive difference makers, pass rushers, you know, line linemen? That's that that positional group because it felt like we had kind of a couple of years where there just weren't a lot of good free agents, mm -hmm. um, and or more likely to see them go offense round one because those are guys that are going to be able to give you an immediate up impact. Those are guys that are going to be able to actually contribute on their rookie contracts. Like mm -hmm. for whatever reason, you know, a lot, a lot of the reasons you mentioned, you draft a wide receiver in round one, he's going to give you production in year one. Right. And you can't necessarily say that about, as we just learned very painfully from a lot of teams, you can't expect that from a cornerback. Not you at can't all. That was that the first thing. Rush. That's a really good question that I haven't <laughs> thought of. My first thought was like, oh, round one corners are always butt, no matter how good they were in college. Doesn't always. Yeah. And right. And, and and what what typically the best framework for this is, is that in general, there's an exception that we'll talk about. You know, an offense is attacking and a defense is reacting. They're called offense and defense. Uh, so a defense, a defensive player needs to have answers to all the questions. He needs to be able to respond to everything that the quiz might be able to throw at him. You don't know what's going to be on the test. So you got to read the whole chapter. You got to know all the material. And that process takes more time. So if a corner is going to see the field, right? And, and he's in the NFC West. He might be getting Debo Samuel, who's built like a running back in one week. And then DK Metcalf was built like Optimus Prime in another week. And then he's going to get Tyler Lockett half the time, who's five, seven figure skater out there. You know what I mean? You're going to get such a DeAndre Hopkins. You're going to get such a variety of dudes that the, the having all the answers to the different ways they play, the different alignments you'll be put in to respond to different downs and distances. It's overwhelming. There's so, so, so much. So in general, defenders have to have, uh, answers to all the questions and that process takes a lot of time isaiah simmons went to the cardinals not a good rookie season it was never going to be a good rookie season his role at clemson was just go do whatever you want in the middle of the field just go be big and fast and long and that doesn't fly in the league and so we we knew coming out like he's going to be highly valued but this is a guy with a long arc whereas yeah uh, the this year's freak athlete is Kyle Pitts, and there's no such concerns with him on offense because all right, we're just gonna find ways to get him the ball. We get to be the aggressors. We get to choose. The one position where this is different is edge, uh, edge, especially on pass rushing downs. You get to be the aggressor. Tackles are deep in their pass set. You can come inside. You can go outside. You can go through. You can throw a variety of rush moves. In general, you get to impose your will. You get to choose how you go, and that's how you see guys like Max Crosby for the the Raiders get ten sacks in his rookie season. Raiders just put him at a wide nine and said, go be fast. Most tackles aren't as fast as you. And he <laughs> really fast. Year two only gets four sacks because the book's out on him a little bit. And there's always, you know, kind of a, a lulls and swells. But in general, edge a little bit different. But yeah, defensive players, they have to be prepared for a lot more. Whereas you can get role players on offense in year one a little bit more easily. Dude, Andy, do you yeah. remember Chase Young was four to one rookie defensive rookie? Yeah, game? he was. What? What were they? <laughs> I'm not no, imagining and, and that. Now, right? now, he yeah, was that, four to one for defensive rookie of the year, right? Yeah, it was. It was up there. It was like three fifty. <laughs> we got him at. But I mean, now now that you say that, I mean, it makes because a lot of times, 
Actually, you don't want to say like there's not a bunch of different defenses you're going to face. You're going to face different defenses every week. But again, they are reaction. And there's only so many ways to run a defense, whereas an offense is, you know, dictating how the play is going to go. And yeah, when I mean, when you're when you're a defender, you're learning all the defensive schemes and then all the defensive adjustments. And essentially, you're learning the other team's offense every week. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you get to play a few games twice. But yeah, and then you, like you say, the edge. Just like, well, no, go, go get, go get the guy with the ball. Like you're, you're just an edge rusher, especially, you know, if it, if it is a passing down, you're not changing coverages when you're just an edge rusher, you're just going after it. So I guess we're just going to only bet on pass, pass rushers for defensive rookie of the year. From it's here on pass out. rushers and linebackers who get like Can 120 get tackles. tackles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who I mean, is Patrick that? Queen had consideration last year, even though yeah, exactly. Had a, I had a bet bad. on Patrick Queen at like plus three, thir- uh, plus yeah, 3,300. I think it was. Cause I was like, yeah. Yeah, he's going to get 110 tackles. So yeah. if everybody else is bad, it's going to him. <laughs> he's got the numbers. Yes, right. Right. He was, he, got supposed, to insane, in, he was supposed to get him in new Orleans, but that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, everything went, uh, that was one I missed in the mock. I couldn't believe he fell there so um yeah that's that's wild boy i just want to go bet a pass rusher now yeah well let's, I, I let's bet rookie in. of the year right now i mean just just real real quick before moving off this who's who if you had to say who is the best passer i know a fit's going to matter a ton mm-hmm. opportunity always is super important when you're handicapping rookie of the year but is there a pass rushing like just guy that pops off the page that you're like man yeah it's jalen he's gonna wow it's, yeah, Phillips, it's, yeah. it's Jalen Phillips out of Miami. And the thing is, yeah. Phillips is a five-star recruit to UCLA. Uh, you watch, like, and this is just dumb. You do it for fun. You watch the All-American high school game he played in. It's like a joke. <laughs> like, like, this guy's, you, you, your grandma could tell you that he's going to be a first-round pick. Like, this is bananas. Uh, he's had the injury history. And, and it's a little bit muddied because it's concussions. And were they really concussions? Yeah. And what that process went like? And you medically redshirted. And so this is a, a winnowing guy. Some teams will not have him on the board. Uh, other yeah. teams will, um, but you put him on an NFL field. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get some pass rush production in year one. He's he's he would have come out years ago if he had a regular arc, and so he's even more physically developed than a guy this physically developed usually is when he comes out. He's Got ready it. to go. Got it. He yeah, he'd look good in purple. <laughs> uh, that's a, <laughs> that's a good <laughs> fit. I, I don't it hate is, that. Well, especially um, the Ngakwe thing was such a debacle. Oh, yeah, it was. And then Daniel Hunter good, didn't, and he wasn't a good fit for sure. No one. Um, Daniel Hunter just was like, oh, he'll be out for a couple weeks. It's like, oh, Daniel Hunter, like seven retired. Weeks. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah all, all the weeks actually. Yeah, uh, let's see, let's let's dial into kind of how we actually see the top ten going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of mentioned uh, either before. Before we start recording we're at the top here, I, ha- I have a, a specific point of view here that I'm betting into a lot of correlation across my board. It's going to be a great round one or it is going to <laughs> suck for me because I have kind of stacked the chips in one direction here. But you have to this year. I don't think you have an option of really diversifying because, number one, there's not a lot of props. The prop options suck. They do. Uh, and, you know, it's there's still time. I'm going to hold my breath. I, you know, hopefully things, you know, they come around and, and they start hanging more interesting stuff. Um, but right now, there's just not a lot to bet into. Um, I think it's very, very clear that uh, Lawrence Wilson won two, uh, rock solid. Uh, I have a little bit of Wilson. I think I have one, minus 150, minus 175 to go number two. Um, so I'm, I'm a little ahead of the game, I believe. Um, but uh, pick three is, a, uh, is the, the most fascinating talking point by far. Going on a month now, I think we've been talking about, or we, it will have been a month by the time we get to the day of the draft. Um, real quickly, Shanahan. They make this trade from 12 to 3. And like you said off the top, 
the initial trade was like Miami Dolphins, beautifully done. Like really, like beautifully done. Um, the and the speculation at the time was, well, they're going up to get a guy that they know to be the future of their franchise, a guy that has elite talent. And there's no way, my initial reaction was, there's no way that is Mac Jones. There's right. no way. And then everyone with the freaking pulse, uh, you, know, re, you know, read an insider source, a, a, an opinion uh, in the media space, um, notably Adam Schefter, uh, comes out with, oh, yeah, no, it's very strong indication that it's Mac Jones. And I, like my two initial opinions on this, if that's true, if it's Mac Jones, like I, I, that's the end of the Shanahan Lynch regime. Every, so many people are that's like, the, we just can't do it. Shanahan anymore. That's we can't the, do it. It's the, it's the end because the talent disparity is so great. And if you gave up that many resources for a player like Mac Jones, you're you've you've lost me. Like, I'm out. I'm out. Um, my. My general read and the smokescreen theory that Will was bringing up, which yeah. we, we've been all talking we talk, about for like a week all now. All day long. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then all day today. <laughs> but just, just here are the basics. Shanahan, obviously a lot of connections to the Jets. Shanahan, obviously very happy that the Jets are locked in on Wilson because that leaves fields available. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If Shanahan gives up the farm to move up to three, if he is transparent about his like just glowing love of of Justin Fields, given his connections to Fields through the QB collective, and you know, just knowing this guy from a, being a kid, and, and and oh by the way, seeing this guy break ribs in the semifinal game and play right. through it when he's been dealing with quarterbacks for the last three years that are made of glass and can't stay on the field, like oh my gosh, this is a match made in heaven. This guy can make all the throws. He's physically tough. He brings an element of running which I haven't had since RG three, but he's not gonna you know his legs aren't gonna fall off like this is dream come true if I'm Shanahan looking at the opportunity to draft field so I move up to three but my important thing the, the key here to selling this is we can't let the Jets realize how much we love this guy we got to keep them focused on Wilson right like the oh, only reason okay. that they would the only reason that they would right. float the Mac Jones thing is to make sure that the Jets aren't like wait who did Kyle trade up for Mac Jones Wilson Jones. All right, we're gonna stick with Wilson, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, if it, but if they're like, oh, these they're, they're they're in love with Fields, they, Fields Wilson. Oh, this is actually kind I like of tough. it. You this know, is like, this is one of the stronger. Why would the Niners not be very clear with who they're taking at three theories? I've heard because that's the main question. Because I it involves I, the Jets, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> tricking the Jets is to, not hard. You just got to tell Adam Schefter that it's Jets. Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah, you still have to do it. Yeah, and, yeah. and Brinson, this is yeah. Brinson is he's living in the church of this of this theory. It's good. No, uh, Brinson's concocted himself a workable theory here, and that's the thing is like <laughs> since right the moment the trade happened, I was like, Field's going to be so good, and then all the Mac Jones stuff started happening, and I was like guys like we can't we can't do this uh and and what what it boils down to me is shanahan's given a lot of like quotes about quarterback evaluation and my favorite one he gave it was in 2019 i want to say uh but he basically said like in general like before anything else like oh pocket and can he run and this that he was like you want to find one of seven arms he, he basically like there's just like seven um, great arms at any given time there's seven dudes with that. nuts arms and that. you want one of them and if you can get one do it and then if you can't, let's talk about accuracy and pocket management and running ability and, and play under pressure. And, oh, I like bootlegs with immobile quarterbacks because the defense doesn't think that it'll be da, da, da. like all that is secondary. All that sauce. If I can get one of the seven arms, I want one of the seven arms. 
Mac, even if they were still at 12, Mac is just not one of the seven arms. Like that, like even if you love Mac Jones, like you, we loved Joe Burrow last year, number one overall pick. He was not one of the seven arms. Like it was, it, it, he was just a good point guard quarterback. Fields puts it in 60 yards on a bucket with one hitch. You know what I mean? Like it's just not regular. And, and the same thing is, is true of Trey Lance. Like Lance also has a stellar arm. And so to me, uh, this, right, when you invest these multiple first round picks, it's because you found, you know, one of the seven. Oh, uh, I think it's fields for him. Uh, that, that's what I expect to be the pick as well. And you've seen the, like, uh, it was at plus 350 at, at one point, like a week ago. And I took it then for fields oh, at three. You got and, the best price I've heard. Right. And that, and the thing is, like, I was like, I, I'm taking this because just because of the way the draft works, it's never going to get wider than this. It's always just going to get closer. And now he's at, like, what, plus 110, minus 110 or something. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's fields. Do do we have a take on this though? <laughs> look at those eyes. People zoomed look. in on those eyes. Yeah, there's one of him and Fields chatting. Like Fields got a big smile, and I was like, this shouldn't matter, but I feel like it does. Yeah. <laughs> well, the face people, he made as soon when as something Jones happened was doing yeah. his pro day throws, and he was like, like he looked like not one of the spooked. seven, man. Not one yeah. of the seven. No, yeah. no, <laughs> very much no. Um, all right. Well, the seven. I, you know, I'm gonna have to I, I laugh when I hear people say uh, they traded up with an open mind like you don't mm -hmm. give up those assets I, I don't care how comfortable you are with your job i don't care if you've talked to the niners owner and he's like you are the coach for life i don't care who you take in the draft like mm -hmm. no you don't give up those assets if you are going to then evaluate the quarterbacks they know who it is it's 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 fields i'm, oh, it, I'm impressed not, you got 350 yeah, this is great, not like the Bengals thing where it's like oh we could do a couple different things when you know obviously the Bengals didn't trade they just sucked to get there but like it, it there's no flexibility when you make a move like this like you have mm -hmm. your mind made up you know what you're doing yeah i mean that's I, I the people that are like oh it's between a couple guys like how how would that fly in a like imagine that meeting right like yeah we're gonna do this and this and like once we get there over the next couple of weeks i'm sure we'll figure it out you know the real <laughs> so, the real screen is the friend you made right. along the way an interesting thing to the smoke screen theory now is the one team that actually did do this was the jets in 2018 going from six to three before yeah. cleveland knew who they were taking at one yeah. uh, and so they had like their list of guys they'd be okay with. And obviously that did not go well. That pick became Sam Darnold. But the Jets once did the move to three with, you know, no particular player in mind. And so if San Francisco's like, oh yeah, we moved to three. We're not sure who it is yet. Maybe it's Mac. Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets, is like, yeah, that's reasonable. That's a thing people do. Was he an ambassador yet? Or what he's, where he's were we at 2018? I'm he, sure I'm sure yeah, he was. He's, uh, I don't know he if he's back now, yeah, he but he's definitely back now. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah I'm not now. sure if that, I'm not it's sure if we point, can though. put him under the bus for that one. <laughs> Either way, the, it's let's, let's assume fields goes mm -hmm. three just because there's financial interest from a lot of people involved. The fourth pick then becomes fascinating because if field slides, if it's Mac Jones and fields and Lance are there at four, all of a sudden Atlanta has massive trade, uh, you know, they they hold all the chips for the draft to trade out of that pick because anyone else that's quarterback hungry, like you mentioned, has a crack at two very very legit starters over the next you know over the arc of their five year uh, you know rookie contracts. Um, I don't think that they there is as much appetite for Lance, even though I share your same kind of gut feeling. Like he, if he had played a full year this year, I 
think he probably would have been in the discussion right. for two teams uh, don't want to yeah. take one year fcs starters they're gonna no, be afraid of him. no it's yeah. it's there's a little too the the risk the tail risk is a little too a little too right. strong for a lot of teams especially if you're at the top of the draft that means you suck and that means you're probably you might get fired right and mm-hmm. so sticking your neck out there for a guy who's you know started one year in fcs not really sure who all is going to do that that'll all that said uh if the appetite's a little cool for lance and if the if the other quarterback available is Mac Jones, and we think reasonably he's you know top ten, marginally top ten talent, um, I think the I think the Falcons are stuck taking a positional player or taking taking best player available at four. And right. the idea that that's not Kyle Pitts escapes me entirely. It's, I do not know how Kyle Pitts doesn't go for it. It's right. So I, I'm I'm. Uh, I agree with you here. The the team that matters in terms of what they're putting out in the world right now is the Lions at seven. Uh, if you're the Broncos at nine, Patriots at 15, you're looking at the Bengals at five and saying they're not taking a quarterback and they're hanging put. Bengals don't really like to trade back in general, uh, and they want one of Sewell or Chase. You're looking at the Dolphins at six and saying, all right, they were at 12. They got back at the six. They're not going back again. Uh, if they did, it'd be nuts, but probably not. Uh, so they're staying. If the Lions at at seven are legitimate threats to take a quarterback, which, you know, Brad Holmes was asked explicitly, the new general manager there, like, are you done at quarterback? And he was like, no, we're going to look at the class. Like, we're going to, you know, we we, we don't just want to sit here with golf. Like, we're going to take a look. We, we might internally decide no. We might internally decide yes, let's get aggressive. We don't know yet. Uh, if you as the Broncos at nine or the, the, the Patriots at 15 think, all right, the Lions really might go take our guy the only team you can get the spot from might be the Falcons at four, but that takes the Lions being legit on quarterback, the Falcons being willing to move out. And you really have to be confident, especially if you're like the Patriots at 15, because 15 to four is the future, man. That's, that's, big, yeah, that's everything that's in a massive, bag of chips. Yeah, uh, if you don't have, if you don't think the Lions have that, if you really think they're, they're either just playing it safe or they're, they're not legit, then you try to wait and see what they want at seven. See if the Panthers want to move back at eight. See if the Broncos are in on quarterback. It gets a lot more nebulous. Uh, what do we so, know about the Lions GM? Uh, the, we know that Brad Holmes comes from a Rams team under Les Snead that when they wanted something, they went and got it. Uh, no team was more willing to take a plunge. Uh, we also, you know, they can say whatever they want about Jared Goff. The way that trade was structured, uh, they got an extra first round pick for taking on the Jared Goff contract. Right. That was not that 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 was not just like, oh, and here's a throw in. That was like, oh, if you want us to take that deal, you gotta send us Drop more. Uh, that was an NBA yeah. trade, right? And so yeah. <laughs> uh to me, there's legitimate run on the Lions at quarterback. Uh mm. Broncos is a change in the front office where Elway is still in the building, but was removed from the primary decision-maker spot for George Payton in large part because Elway could not get quarterback right. Brock Osweiler drew lock. That's legit. Uh, Patriots is a little bit of a weird one because they actually really like Cam Newton. And then the super dark horse is uh, uh, purple up there because throughout this entire process, we keep hearing Minnesota's doing their homework. You know, they were all there at Justin Fields day today. Uh, And so it is very, very messy in those four teams how much does each want a quarterback, need a quarterback, and who do they like? Atlanta needs that mess to force a team to pull the trigger. But just oh, in man. and of themselves, I agree. They don't have a ton of leverage. It looks to me like Detroit is building for the future, not for this mm-hmm. year. And right. yeah. I don't think that includes taking a quarterback and developing him this year. I think if 
if you made me say what you know, what's more likely they take a quarterback at seven or they trade back from seven and accumulate assets, I think assets is probably more. They have the kind of schedule that says they're going to have the first overall pick next year, so they can take a quarterback then if they want you, to. You can, you can I don't think they're missing that calculus. Like teams teams have done that and found some success where you can take a shot at a day two quarterback, and you know right. if it if it's somebody that grades out well for you, I guess. I want your opinion on the Broncos. You know, you've said this is the Elway thing was, I guess I want your opinion on that. Is, do you think Elway is truly hands off of this process as much as they said? And if you were the guy who replaced Elway, would you, you know, would you be after a quarterback? Cause like we talked a lot about this, like Christ, they have a really good young receivers room and it, it's I mean, really good, it's like, really it's good like roster. Having a Lambert, yeah, the whole it's like roster having a Lamborghini right. and the no gas stations. Like you can't have that many good receivers and have right. no quarterback. Like it wasn't even that much worse when they went with the receiver that one day. Like yeah, I, it's right, Kendall Hinton. Yeah, it's it's tricky. Here's here's the issue. Uh, three weeks ago, pre-free agency. Yeah, right. Like that game is just a race. Kendall Hinton oh, yeah. versus Taysom Hill. Uh, the uh, the the tricky thing is like before that Kyle Fuller signing, right. I mean like the Justin Simmons franchise tag and they made some big defensive moves. I would have said they still got, they still need work. They still need time. They're developing drew lock, whatever. And you don't want to talk yourself into the Broncos drafting a quarterback just because the bears did something stupid. And now the Broncos have Kyle Fuller. You know what I mean? Like that, that that's too tenuous. That doesn't really change a team's outlook. What is what 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 I go back to is we don't even talk about the Giants needing a quarterback at eleven, and Daniel Jones has not done anything more or less over two years of starting that Drew Locke has done over one point five years of starting. Uh, they're both guys who uh, Daniel Jones was a much earlier investment, and so that's kind of protecting him for another year. But I think the Broncos are going to try to do it another year with Drew Locke. Yeah. The the always tricky aspect of this is the ever elusive and mercurial next year's quarterback class because 2022 is not viewed as a very strong quarterback group. And so for both the lions at seven and the Broncos at nine, especially with a guy like a Trey Lance available who you say, Oh, maybe he needs a year to sit. How do you measure that against your Sam Howells, your Keaton Slovis your JT Daniels, so on and so forth. I think uh, you, I think you let my Minnesota go get their quarterback. Yeah, the you know who looks good? You, and, and Kirk Cousins. Yeah, hey. Kirk, I would, <laughs> boy, we were, we were right in the same <laughs> Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, He's above average. There's going to be some recycled quarterbacks on the pile next year for sure. Although if you're Denver, you can't feel good about the last time you took a Minnesota quarterback and tried to run it back with him. That was rough. That was rough. You need to have that (laughs) offense in place. That's where Kirk's been successful and Denver doesn't. Uh, So I I think Denver holds. I don't think Denver takes a quarterback. I think Detroit has, if you maybe choose Detroit at seven or Denver at nine, Oh man, Denver's done the work. We talked earlier about like guys going to pro days, making signs. Uh, it's close. I my my gut says Detroit, but I would understand both ways. I think the Vikings is largely just homework. I don't think that's legit. I think the Patriots are. Yeah, if somebody falls in our range, we'll we'll make a trade up. We don't care. Bill Belichick's extremely pissed off that Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. He'll go make a move. Um, but that's going to be a draft day sort of a thing because you have to see who falls to you, who's in range. I got I got bad news after watching the Patriots free agency. They're not winning the Super Bowl anytime soon. Yeah. Not uh, oh come on, come on, come on! Nelson Aguilar, like twelve million, <laughs> oh, great deal. Oh, he can catch babies jumping out of no, no. I, I forget how it all went. No, that um, guy can. That catch guy babies. can't catch. Unlike babies. Aguilar, that's unlike Aguilar. Aguilar. Thank yeah, you. Yes, thank Aguilar. you. Thank you. That's right. Thank. Thankfully, it wasn't Aguilar trying to. Catch babies. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think the only thing I know about uh, Lions general manager, <laughs> questionable decision 
hiring Dan Campbell, the head coach. God. So who the hell? He, he's a wild card. He could go anywhere. Um, yeah. But I do, I do, I, I do think they are. They, uh, uh, I do think they look for plugging some defensive holes or wide receiver holes because th- that roster is so 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 bad. Um, let's let's go back in and say then Falcons take Pitts at four. That's what I think. If it's, available. Yeah, if it's yes. non-quarterback, it's maybe offensive line because of the Fontenot background. Yeah. Offensive line's pretty bad, but Arthur Smith, more multiple tight end sets than anybody yeah. in the league. He's going to fall in love with Kyle Pitts. I do think that'd be the pick. Plus, on top of that, like Pitts comes into the league, he's immediately the third best tight end. I mean, and and oh, by the way, you see a dynamic tight end playmaker like George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. You think that isn't a good way to build an offense? You're, right. you're dreaming. Or right? like Julio he, and Calvin. Yeah, Great exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I know Pitts 4 makes a ton of sense to me, uh, which leaves the Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase decision at 5. Mm-hmm. Now, let's break down why the Bengals do what they do a lot of the time. It's because Mike Brown is cheap. Yes. And he has invested a lot of draft capital over the years with very little return in the offensive line position, especially in the first round. In fact, they recently just cut a first round uh, draft pick that they had on the O-line. The other guy that they that was a Jonah Williams yep. missed his entire rookie season was did not oh, yeah. necessarily look like the guy last year. Um, they may be questioning their ability to evaluate the offensive line players in the draft. And now here, you know, we're going to lay out more draft capital for at this position where we haven't been able to find a hit. And we, you know, like I, I, and Oh, by the way, we just gave Riley reef some money. Like, didn't we address this in free agency? You know, I, I have, I catch some whiff that there could be from the top down, like, nah, nah, we're done with, we're done with the line. Like, I know we need to protect Joe Burrow. I know he's an injury risk if we can't protect him. But, you know, even within the organization, Joe Burrow has been relatively vocal about Jamar Chase. Like, yeah. you know, is this is this a little too convenient? And we're and I because I could see this going both ways. It's too convenient from a narrative standpoint to put Chase with Burrow. It's also super convenient to mock an offensive lineman to Cincinnati so that mm-hmm. Joe Burrow you know, last more than three years in the league. Right. It'd be nice. It's like the, like Kyle Fuller making us think the Broncos are now ready to win. It's like, all right, if Burrow doesn't get injured, how strong are we really on offensive tackle? And like, obviously that matters more, but how much does it matter? And like how much you putting into that? I think it's Sewell. Uh, And what, what throws me off is this Uh, consensus chase is the first receiver off the board. He's like minus 900. It's going to happen. Uh, the Bengals have in hand T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Now, neither T Higgins nor Tyler Boyd are enough as individuals to say we shouldn't invest early at wide receiver going back to what we talked about at the position, but in general, uh, a solid one, two punch at wide receiver. You need to add more to that. Higgins is a good catch point guy. That's what he does. Well, uh, not the best route runner, not the loosest guy, but he's going to be great. Elevate to the catch point play above the rim, which is what chase did really well in college. Hmm. So if you put Higgins okay. and chase on the outside and leave Tyler Boyd in the slot, I've got catch point, catch point, and then I've got a big slot. Boyd's a good route runner, but he's not really much after the catch. Not really a super juicy guy with the ball in his hands. Chase Higgins, same thing. If we're going to live in empty, which is what the Bengals did last year, and we're going to throw shallow and quick a lot, I need guys who are good with the ball in their hands. And I can't really put Chase in at the slot because he's a little bit smaller and shorter and be like, he's going to be a route runner. He's going to be a slot for me now. I've already got Boyd in that role. The, the, Puzzle pieces, I talked about building a, a receiver core like a basketball team. You want guys of different sizes with different skills. We need a penetrator. We need a 3-and-D guy. We need a post-up guy. Right now, what the Bengals need 
is a it's quick Rondo separator. Yeah, right, it's Rondo Moore <laughs> round two. They need a quick separator, a guy who can get open underneath and is going to turn five-yard passes into 20-yard gains. Simply is not Jamar Chase's game. If they draft him, it's fine. Like, that's like, you're going to have three good receivers. We're going to figure out the problems later. You know what I mean? We're going to figure out some balance. It's going to be okay. But right now, we didn't bring up Auden Tate, who's our wide receiver four, who's like T. Higgins, but even bigger and more, uh, no, no juice, and more above the rim. Uh, it's tough for me to get a per, uh, uh, to get an understanding of how the offense is going to find spacing and rhythm if Chase Higgins Boyd is your three receiver lux. I think they need to look more so with the guy with juice in their hands. And so for that reason, I'm not as as gung ho about Chase of the Bengals. It doesn't okay. ring to, to to be intuitive to me. Whereas Sewell is just like uh, he's 330 pounds, he's 20, and he can run. Like you know, yeah. he's gonna fit for pretty much everybody. Uh, I mean, the, there was talk about him. I mean, a year and a half ago, there was people like, "Oh, he's a yeah. top one. He's a top one pick." You know, if if there's not a if there's not a quarterback that really stands out, right? Because Cristobal went to Oregon and re- immediately recruited him, and it was like, "This is it." You know what I mean? Cristobal starting at Oregon. So, for, I guess the Bengals the, are the, the toughest for me. But I real, real quick, if you're a Bengals fan, are you more satisfied with Sewell and Rondell Moore? than you would be with Chase and whoever the best offensive tackle is at the top of round two? It's tough because both the wide receiver, the round two wide receivers and round two tackles are both really good. They're both really <laughs> so, good, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, fine in the way. For me, like, you know, being an analyst, I want Sewell because I like building through the trenches. I think if they go Chase and get like Alex Leatherwood in round two, I'd call that a great draft. It wouldn't have been what I would have done, but go get your money. Like, that's a good approach. Okay. And then, I mean, if, if it, and then obviously if it goes quarterback, 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 Pitt, Sewell, like, then it's just, this chase like a, a yeah. thousand percent it's chase like it, yeah. it has to be which like, is why no... it's so confusing that they put chase as at a flat six and i really right. would yeah, like yeah, them yeah. to unlock well, yeah that's by the, all means if you're if you're willing to hang chase at six please raise the limits on that bet i yeah. do not understand why well yeah it's a free it's a free roll it's because a free roll. <laughs> I, I can't find a situation where something weird happens four five six where he's not right. five or six yeah mm-hmm. Right. The I, only, yeah. yeah. To me, to me, and like maybe uh, you can tell right. me if there is one. No, I mean, like, so his absolute floor is seven. He never makes it past the lines. That will never happen ever. They love contested catch receivers. He's the man. Um, but right when I look at four, five, six, I can find two of the three teams are legit pits threats. That's the Falcons at four and the Dolphins at six. Two of the three teams are limit are legit Jamar Chase threats. That's the Bengals at five and the Dolphins at six. Sewell is the one where if he doesn't yeah. go five maybe four again like atlanta could just be like trenches right that's what terry fontano is used to <laughs> arthur smith right they were very heavy in the trenches in tennessee sure. that could happen like i don't want to be locked in there because the new system non-zero, and they're gonna, non-zero if, chance Sewell yeah, goes for yeah. they're gonna evaluate their guys whatever but sure. Sewell's the one where if he doesn't go five his over under in a lot of places is like 5.5 6.5 to me that's the one that that i i could see him getting to like eight to the panthers and, and he could fall out of that group a little bit okay okay Okay. Well, let's not overthink it. Because, I mean, part of me is angry at the Dolphins for trading back up into six, not knowing who's going to be there. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe they do know. Maybe they do know that the Bengals absolutely have a, a hard on for uh, a tackle and that they are going to get whoever that, you know, and they are like, look, Pitts, Chase, we don't care. Give us one of those two players, falls right. to us, then we're good. I, I secretly, because I didn't like their trade, I want them to get screwed. And I want to see <laughs> Pitts and Chase go five, four, right. five, so that they're like, mm-hmm. 
we traded back up and the best player available is a tackle. Like, uh, why did we do <laughs> <Right>. this? <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like the thing that always worms its way into my head is like, well, maybe they're fine with one of the Alabama guys, Devontae Smith yeah. or yeah, Jalen yeah, Waddle. Yeah, yeah. But then right. Chase, like Chase has never dropped in first receiver off the board, which screws with my mind. Because that oh he like went from minus one seventy to minus seven hundred yeah. yeah exactly he's, he's been beaten exactly it's yeah. done yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. that's why I'm like all right so it's Chaser Pitts for them and they're confident they're getting at least one of the two it's not one of the Alabama guys whatever and so like I I'm with you guys I do not see Chase anywhere after six I'd be stunned and if so he's going seven but um at the, the, at the time of the Miami trade I was like maybe one of the Bama guys and ever since then I've been like I guess not my. Since I mean I will we we haven't touched on it and I have said multiple times like once you get out here it gets wacky but who do you think the Eagles take who do you want the Eagles to take is it if like Smith or Waddle somehow manages their way down there it's like a receiver would be awful nice but like, is it Horn <laughs> otherwise is it yeah. is it Horn like for sure wide receiver uh, yeah so they I think that you expect a, a grouping of at least one of Waddle Smith. Patrick Sertan and JC Horn. Uh, and those would be the four that they're, they're aiming for. Uh, they took a round two. It seems tough to get past Dallas, though. Yeah. I will say. Well, uh, Dallas could trade down, though. Yeah. That's true. Dallas could trade down. And also, I would not be surprised if Dallas falls in love with JC Horn. Uh, really? Yeah. So this is no. Yeah. So one of the flyers I've made is Horn, first defensive player off the board, which it was like plus 700 a while ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know crazy. where it is now. Yeah. It's like four, uh, three, three, four hundred. No. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a crazy. Right. That's not what, a bad play. What's always critical to remember about the month of March is that it's the first time NFL coaches watch film. Uh, <laughs> in general, coaches are firing off takes and they don't really actually watch film until March. Because of the structure in Dallas, where obviously Jerry Jones has all the power in the world, right? And then there's Steven Jones there. Uh, the head coach and, and system fits have historically had a little bit more oomph in Dallas than in other places, right? Like when they took Taco Charlton, it was because Rod Marinelli wanted, you know, big bodied, long armed edges. And Steven Jones and Jerry Jones, who do not have football backgrounds, were like, yeah, that works. And then they drafted a <laughs> bad player instead of a good player because he fit the measurements, right? Uh, <laughs> Horn is the sort of dude that coaches will die for, right? He's the most arrogant son of a gun you've ever seen, which is they love it in corners. He's got the NFL bloodlines, which Sertan does as well. Sounds um, like Joe yeah. Horn, honestly. Well, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, like, he, fits, <laughs> yeah. like, he has yeah. that Dallas. Yeah. He fits yeah. in Dallas because right. of the bloodline, the cell phone thing. Yeah, like, it's, right, exactly. Greatest celebration of all time. And so, and and that's the sort that's of it. thing where if it's Jerry, like Jerry likes the showbiz. Uh, and so I, I would not be stunned if Horn is the pick at 10, even with Sertan off the board. Still think it's Sertan, or excuse me, with Sertan on the board. Still think it's Sertan right now, but that's uh, a way I could see this thing moving. Regardless, for the Eagles, right, Sertan, Horn, Smith, and Waddle, they they spent a second two years ago on a wide receiver. Ortega Whiteside was bad. A first on Jalen Rager last year wasn't great. I'm not sure how early they're willing to go wide receiver again, especially with the new coaching staff. I think sertan horn right now a little bit over waddle and smith and then they try to hit the wide receiver group in day two because the day two corner group is bad uh, yes. so to me i think it's yes. going to be one of the two corners yeah i was any, i was eyeing up that corner prop prop yes. corner prop market was like over under four uh round one and i was thinking that too like if you don't get a guy in round one you're kind of effed yeah um okay we'll get maybe uh touch on that yeah take a look at that one in a sec um okay well the um i guess we blew by detroit we have no clue they need everything right. they could 
do you, are you worried about your defensive pick? Are they like, could they go do something stupid? Like, well, we need everything. We might as well get a, a great tackling linebacker, like Micah Parsons to play right, off yeah. the ball. Like Parsons is one that with the opt out and with some of the off field stuff, it's a not on every team's board. And so he's a very tough one, right? It only takes okay. one, but you don't know where that one is. What I do know is that they, uh, they have Jelani Tavai, who's already a humongous developmental second round pick from a couple of years ago. And the coaching staff really wants to, resuscitate him uh, so i don't think it's linebacker and then they re-signed romeo quora so i don't think it's edge uh okay. i think the lions right it's going to be a renewed investment in offense for them that, yeah. that's my because okay, okay. yeah I patricia and quinn agree. was just yeah they just invested too much in defense and not but they have nothing to show for it right, they said a ton of defense. <laughs> yeah uh, they left the yeah. offense completely in shambles and then both were bad so yeah. That, yeah. that's why you get yeah. fired yeah yeah okay fair enough and then carolina Sorry. likely offense as well probably yeah, they were all defense in last year's draft. So eventually, at some point, you have to stop, right? And yeah, right. <laughs> draft an offensive yeah. player. Uh, tackle's a weird situation for them because Taylor Moten's on the franchise tag. They moved on from Russell Okung. So to me, mm-hmm. first tackle off, like uh, if it's Rashawn Slater or Penny Sewell, I think they're fine with whoever is left. Um, and if a tackle hasn't been taken, they'll be the first tackle off the board. Okay, sure. okay. Um, Slater over under that might be a betting range. What's his number like? It's uh, it's around ten point five, and yeah. yeah, since November, right? Which this is critical because it means it was scouts and not coaches. Uh, there's been gas that some teams have Slater above Sewell in their most recent mocks for Daniel Jeremiah and for Peter Schrager. Slater went above Sewell, uh, and so I don't like how exactly to bet that is tricky because again, we don't. The Bengals are, are the really tough team at five for me. I uh, figure out if it's Chase or if it's Sewell, but Slater under ten point five is a strong one for me. I like that one a bit. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's no reason it would, he's not going to go nine or 10. So right. it's, and, it's, that's really eight and a half, but yeah, you're getting yeah. it at 10 and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something crazy could happen. Okay. That's probably, so that's probably going to move really realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I like that. I like that look. Um, we think Broncos probably take a quarterback with be it Lance, probably right. Lance Broncos. Or, uh, or, if it's that might, this is the spot where Michael Parsons freaks me out. Uh, big Fangio had a San Francisco defense with Navarro Bowman, big body, big time, Mike Patrick Wills as well. Uh, and then they spent a top 10 pick when he was in Chicago and Roquan Smith, uh, Vic Fangio wants his defense to have a captain in the middle. Right now they have AJ Johnson and Josie jewel, fine players, not exactly impact three down middle linebackers. If there's a spot where Parsons gets sniped in the top 10, to me, this is it. Uh, and we just don't know what they are in terms of how they feel about his off field and how they feel about the opt out and so on and so forth. But if, it, if they read Parsons at nine, I'll be so pissed and lose a good deal of money, but I'll get it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right. Well, um, let's ra- let's wrap this up. I got two last quick questions for you. Okay. Um, is there a player or are there a couple players or player fit? in like late first round early second round where you see that go and you're like okay they won the draft like i i don't know do you usually do draft grades uh do you do post draft analysis of teams and how they picked and like yeah like you know thinking about it as you know as the draft comes up you're like man if these guys pick these guys they'll have one they'll have won the draft yeah your, no. your antoine winfield pick like that's that's why <laughs> yeah. they won the super bowl right tr- tristan Wirfs and winfield Right, like, yeah, at, right. Bucks absolutely smashed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's like, do you do grades? Not so much because like, you know, there's some guys who give out grades and they like, don't give out D's, E's and F's. And it's like, all right, well, that's not real. Um, But certainly like one of the first things I'll do is be like, these are the classes where I like the fits and I like the guys. And so this to me is money. Uh, 
the Bills at 30 getting Aziz Ojolari, the edge out of Georgia, is their dream. Uh, if he makes it all the way down there, home run. They need a Jerry Hughes replacement slash running mate. He's their mold. Going to be great. Right after them, the Packers at 31. Uh, Brian Goodkoots is a big height, weight, speed guy, right? Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard. He wants big buys at wide receiver. Terrace Marshall, to me, is the best bet to be the fifth receiver off the board, right? We've got the uh, uh, the J- Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, and then Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. Go Gophers. Will be four. Uh, okay. Marshall to me is, is that clear five and it's six, three, 200 with wheels. You know what I mean? That like Brian Gunkins would die for that guy. Uh, and so I think if they're going to go wide receiver early, that's going to be the pick there. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Kansas city with the changes along the offensive line, uh, with, with their need to get immediate starters at tackle, uh, Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama, Liam Eikenberg out of Notre Dame. Uh, those are going to be the players that, that you see prioritized there, in my opinion. Tackle is tough to figure out, though, because it's a ridiculously deep group in round two. Uh, and so they could just like be like, all right, Brady Christensen out of BYU. He's 26. So he's already like an adult. Uh, <laughs> he's like and a he, family. Right, exactly. He was just like, he tested like crazy. And so, you know what? We're going to make him the pick and send it home. That wouldn't shock me either. But if the Chiefs don't take a tackle at 32, what are we doing? It's Patrick Mahomes. Do you, I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you really have to do research? Can, can you just say like, oh, there's a Notre Dame tackle on the board. We should just take that. that not oh. only is it like there's a Notre Dame tackle on the board. Uh, their other tackle, Robert Hainsey, is viewed as like a round three, round four guard center prospect. And one of their guards, Aaron Banks, is viewed as like a round four guard prospect. And they're just going to reload. Like their freshman center is better than half those guys. Like there, it's every year. And, and we talked earlier about like, trusting guys and trusting teams yeah teams like drafting notre dame offensive linemen yeah. they like drafting iowa offensive linemen it usually works yeah 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 it's a safe bet it's a safe bet mm-hmm. um okay uh i just want to throw one question in from our buddy femi the uh is, is there anyone with enough arm talent in this from this, like the sixth quarterback uh that is worth trading into round one to get if you miss out on a guy that you covet and you need a quarterback of the future I think a team trading up into the first round for the sixth quarterback, it will be the biggest mistake of draft week. I would be stunned if it happened. Uh, And we're already seeing this happen. The top five is really good. And then after the top five, the drop-off is precipitous. It is bad. Uh, We could see fewer than 10 quarterbacks go for only the second time this century. Uh, It happened in 2015. Yeah, Jameis, Jameis and Marcus Mariota went one and two. And then the Colorado State kid, whose name I refuse to learn, went like round three. You know what I mean? Like 75 picks later. Oh, you're uh, forgetting seven, the EJ Manuel year. <laughs> that right, was an all-time bad. Right, but that had 10 total quarterbacks go oh, did it? by the oh, time okay, day three okay. was done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which, no okay. round one, but they had a, had volume at least. Okay. Uh, this year, after those big five, we're going to see about four or five goes. We could get under 10. Uh, if you're talking yourself into a Davis Mills out of Stanford, Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M, or Kyle Trask out of Florida, you're outside your God-given mind. Uh, you, it's a fine dart throw on with pick 75. But if you're sure. trying to trade out for that, you're bonkers. Okay. Yeah. I like it. I like good info. I like I, that. Yeah. Cause and the Mon thing too, like I liked watching him a little and then it's like, well, we had some Rona and he kind of had some issues here and there. It's like, wow. When, when you compare him up against the top five, it's like, yeah, there's, there's like a tier and maybe <laughs> there's no tier two or tier three. Right. Yeah. It's hard to call a guy developmental when he has 40 starts in the SEC. Eventually you are what you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't get the Mitch Trubisky like, oh, you know, he didn't yeah. have a lot of games yet. That's what they're doing with Davis Mills. Only only started 11 games. Yeah, because he's right. injury prone and he can't move in the pocket, brother. Like it's, right, there's like reasons it. for these things. I like it. I like it. Okay. One final question for you that we didn't prep you for. 
Hit me. After all of this very actionable information and okay. in deep insight and like no bullshit, um, what is the hottest take that you have heading into this draft? And like, it doesn't have to be a hot, hot take, but just like, where are you the furthest off from like the consensus? You know, mm -hmm. like everybody is so sure this guy is a first round talent. And I'm like, he's never going to make a start or vice versa. Like people are knocking this guy day two, day three. He is clearly top, you know, round one talent. Like, is there, is there a general hot take that you have? Yes. Uh, this interior defensive tackle class is generally viewed as bad. I think it's like bad, bad. Like Christian Barmore <laughs> out of Alabama is apparently going to go top 15, top 20. And man, maybe that reaps for you in year three, but that's a swing <laughs> for the fences. Like Barmore, he had a really nice end to the season. And a lot of times teams like to take that and be like, he's getting better. And it's, it's never <laughs> that neat. Yeah, yeah. Development against is the not, elite competition. Yeah. Development <laughs> is not linear. It never goes that steady. You know, we're not exponential all the way up. And so Barmore spent all of his success at Alabama was being bigger, quicker, faster than the other guy. Guess what you don't get to do in the NFL, at least like, you know, consistently measurably for 99% of the guys, just be bigger, quicker, faster. Uh, and so you got, it, it, it's, like Quinn and Williams, where like that year one with the Jets was rough. And then year two, he started to pit the pieces together. But yeah. Barmore was less dominant and less experienced. So how long of an arc <laughs> are we looking at here? And then after him, Levi and Wuzurike out of Washington, Davian Nixon out of Iowa. It, you know, and Wuzurike was out of position. Nixon was a Juco guy. Yeah, like it's kind of worth a swing. But man, I, I don't know how early. And so to me, this defensive tackle class is radioactive. I don't want a piece of it. <laughs> Like well, that. this is good. The next, yeah, we're gonna have we yeah, have I'm all giving these some good teams quarterbacks. I'm, I'm gonna do no you interior pressure. Like this give is all awesome. apps for that. Yeah, we are on. <laughs> we're on the. We're on the cusp of just a great, you know, a great generation of NFL entertainment. If there's right. no, if there's no pass rush, nobody can rush the passer. Offensive play, line talent, great, is great wide receivers. Wide receivers like, deep every year in this quarterback this is class. Great. Is great. Let's yeah. go. Let's bet the this over, baby. Let's go. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, the over on average was up like four points last year. So why not? All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was incredibly fun. Really enjoyed getting into all that process stuff. Hopefully the, uh, I'm sure everyone listening enjoyed this. This is, there's some actionable bets in here. So, uh, thanks again. Where can people uh, find you and what's, uh, what's some of the stuff that, uh, that you would point people to as they prepare for their NFL draft handicap? Yeah, so I'm uh, at Benjamin Solak on Twitter. Solak's S-O-L-A-K. The Draft Network is where all the draft stuff lives. Uh, Locked on NFL Draft is the podcast five days a week. Right now we're doing the guest mock series, which is a lot of fun because uh, we bring on like, you know, beat writer for The Athletic, ESPN or whatever for each team, grill them about the depth chart, have them make a pick. The pick's mostly for fun. The depth chart stuff is the cool stuff, trying to figure out projections and who's going to get snap counts where. Uh, and so we're in the midst of that right now, which is a, a ton of fun. And then, yeah, if you're doing your own mock draft, TDN mock draft simulator, uh, burn an hour of your work day without even noticing, man, that, that's a lot of fun. So it, it's draft season. It's just a good time. All right. I love it. Well, with that, let's wrap. Good job. Andy. Yes. Good job. Appreciate did you, all did you make any, Andy, did you make any bets on this podcast? Not during the podcast. Are you going to make any stream yards? Stream slows down your Chrome, dude. Like it it's made it harder for me to bet. Like if I'm betting, I'm betting on my phone now. So no, yeah. I, I didn't, I'm going to, I think I'm going to get some Slater in. I like that one. All right. Well, take care all guys. Right. Best of luck. And uh, thanks again for your all your time. Hit the outro music. That was like, that was like a, by far our best NFL draft podcast. I got to thank you. It's not even the NFL draft week yet, is it? No, no. Uh, this will have a good uh, little two-week shelf life. This is great, man.
I thought it turned out nicely. Yeah. Definitely a lot better than two years ago where I was just like wow. I was I felt like I was nice. Not picking on him about 